So, Dan, back to school this month. What's the mood in your household? Yes, well, back to school. Or, well, actually, it's, it's nursery in our household because um, our little one, Leo, is, is um, just coming up to one year old and he's actually started nursery last week. So that's a big yes. moment. Um, it's been a little bit tricky, but it seems to be, seems to be sort of going OK. Excellent. Yeah, that must feel quite big for you guys. So is he going in more than once a week or just settling in slowly? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's had a couple of settling sessions, but now he's, he's going to be going in pretty much every day, and I think things things seem to be going all right. But um, yeah, a lot of change. But we did have a really nice um, break over the summer. We managed to get down to France for quite a lot of August in the end, which was absolutely lovely. We certainly made the most of that. It's not a bit different going on holiday with a with a little one, as a lot of listeners I'm sure will <laughs> will know. But that was um, certainly lovely. How did your holidays work out? I didn't nail holidays this year. Oh, I no. had some really good moments, but what I the mistake I made was being away from the home for a while, but then working and doing holiday. And I was kind of like one day on, one day off. And it's just really hard. It's really hard to get the right mindset and really hard to switch off. I was thinking yeah. about this as well. You know, I think a lot of people have done a little bit of that this summer. I'm sure a lot of um, listeners will, will, will relate to that. I, I did a little bit of that as well. Obviously, it was nice because it enabled us to actually get away for a bit longer time as balancing work. But what I realized was I, I really need to separate those two out completely and try and because it's hard to sort of draw a definite line, isn't it? Is that what you find? And then you always end up accepting yeah. little things here and there. Yeah, you say yes to more than you intended to say yes to and you're in a beautiful location and you just feel like you're not really exploring or enjoying it or if the weather's not great on the one day you chose to have off then you feel like you've kind of failed at planning and and that sort of thing so tricky so did some really good traveling in the UK I think UK made a big difference I felt like it was easier for me to log on and so I was more willing to say I would log on and that was probably that's my bad but yeah to be fixed next time I go on holiday which I'm still desperate for (laughs) even though it's only just ended yeah okay well we should probably tell listeners what they can expect from the new series right absolutely well a lot of the same actually is is, is the answer we are going to be continuing with with similar sort of format we're going to be aiming for a mix of LCP colleagues who are experts in certain areas but we're trying to get plenty of external guests in do give us a shout if there's someone you think we should talk to we've had some great recommendations that have come in from listeners we're still aiming for that sweet spot around about half an hour i know we don't always hit it but that's sort of our target going to be expecting many of you going to be um doing commutes again as i'm expecting to be um shortly so trying to really aim so we can nicely fit that into your to your commuting time nice well not to be cocky but my commuting time when i'm in the winchester office is only about three minutes long so it's going to be a little bit too long for my commute but so that is you... that is a little bit cocky i have to say well, stop <laughs> your second there that is being a little bit cocky and also the winchester office is um the new one that just opened does does look extremely nice doesn't it so you must be pleased to be back there it's lovely yeah it's really really good obviously i do still go to london when i need to be and then i have more like an hour commute so if you're if you're in that camp and you've listened to investment uncut and you've really enjoyed it and you still have half your commute left our colleagues in the insurance department have just released insurance uncut so very similar idea to what we do really but aimed at people who work in or are interested in the general insurance market similar format every week they will interview a guest on a different topic that impacts that industry so check it out yeah that, that's our colleagues charl and, and jess isn't it and our and our insurance practice so we'll, we'll stick mm. a link to that in the show notes um, it's re- really interesting and i've certainly got it on my playlist and it's really interesting i think to see different people making use of the podcast format obviously I, i'm a big fan of it and i was just so interested to see where, where they can take it and always very supportive of other people kind of adopting that so it's been really fun working with them a little bit try and give them a few little insights from what we've learned but i'm sure they'll they'll have plenty to teach us as well after after a little bit so um yeah good luck to them with that indeed but right for now on, on with the episode Welcome to Investment Uncut. In Investment Uncut, we cut through the noise when it comes to investing. 
We're digging deeper to try and bring clarity to your investment decisions. I'm Dan Mikulskis. And I'm Mary Spencer. Investment Uncut is brought to you by the investment team at LCP. LCP provide investment advice to some of the largest institutional investors in the UK, including pension funds, wealth managers and sovereign funds. Find out more at lcp.uk.com. So joining us today for our back to school episode, we're delighted to welcome LCP's CEO, Aaron Pumwani. Aaron, welcome. Thank you, Dan. Delighted to join you. Hi, Aaron. So slightly strange question to be asking you really, but as LCP CEO, can you give us a sense of your role and perhaps maybe what it means more on a sort of day-to-day basis? Thanks, Mary. I guess I've got two main jobs. The one that I feel is the key role is as a client advisor. So I act as scheme actuary to a small number of large pension funds. And yeah, the other job is as CEO of the firm where I'm responsible for defining the firm's business strategy and making sure that we deliver it. So I very much enjoy the variety of being a client advisor and also CEO. And I think each of those roles helps me do the other one more effectively. Super. Erin, before we get into the conversation, why don't you just give us one thing we should know about you that we wouldn't find on your CV? Relevant to today's conversation about hybrid working, I've definitely got a higher than average number of instances where naked children walk on to Zoom calls. (laughs) Brilliant. And I think we've probably all seen examples of not necessarily your children, Erin, but examples of funny video call nightmares that have happened over the last sort of 18 to 20 months. So perhaps you could reflect on the last 20 months and less so on the sort of bloopers, but maybe more on the sort of learnings from a professional services perspective. It's obviously been a really interesting period, so emotionally challenging for all of us. I think as a firm, but also as an industry, we've stepped up really, really well, focused on client service, focused on relationships. And also, I think some of the real positives have been the proactive steps we've all taken to stay connected And I think it's also an area where we and other businesses have re-examined the purpose and what we stand for. So there's been a massive focus on diversity and inclusion at LCP and indeed in the industry, which I'm really, really pleased and proud of. I think some of the work we've done in terms of the LCP Foundation and charitable activities has really stepped forward. And also the different ways in which our people have shown that they care for our clients and stepping up when clients are in difficulties have been extremely pleased and proud to see. And I think that's in an environment where I think we're all seriously looking forward to getting back to something that resembles normality. The, the big challenge for me is helping everyone to start enjoying the world of work in the way that we used to, but also continuing those really positive learnings and those proactive steps that we took and make sure we do learn for them. So I think the inclusion benefits that some of the virtual working has really brought to the fore, the use of technology, we absolutely need to continue and develop that. And I think from a executive and leadership perspective one of the things that we did was realizing that those water cooler conversations weren't happening and therefore we were much more proactive about giving updates to everyone as to what was going on so regular videos from exco just because we're moving back into a more office-based working doesn't mean we should stop doing that we should be more open we should be better at internal communication and all of those learnings that we picked up during the pandemic we should continue and we should benefit from and continue to build on as we go forwards ton of great stuff there, actually. And just maybe unpacking a few of those points. I mean, but one thing you said there just made me sort of think back. And I guess it's it's almost difficult to remember now, isn't it? Back in April 2020, what the environment was like. There was a lot of fear. It was a real health crisis. People were genuinely and rightly fearful and scared for their families and, and friends and everyone. And we were plunged into what felt like a very alien 
way of operating, which we've since become quite habituated to, and as if anything now become a sort of minor inconvenience slash marginal benefit, depending on how you use it. So it's been just a huge journey, hasn't it, from that sort of one extreme to another when we're talking about some positives and stuff. Fully agree. And I think there is very much in the office this week that sort of back to school feeling. For me, it's hit me in three different ways, actually. So the first thing is our new graduates just joined yesterday. Oh, did they? So I did the sort of introductory 20-minute presentation to all of these fresh-faced individuals. All Every year, they seem more smiley and in- attentive and intelligent than the year before, which was fantastic. But it's also, I think for everyone, this is the week where people are getting into a much more regular pattern of hybrid working a couple of days a week in the office and based on individual preferences the rest of the time at home. I had a lunch with a client today, as you can tell, so I'm actually wearing my school uniform for that reason. <laughs> so I think that that sort of sense of a bit of a new beginning and hitting the ground running feels quite strong. And there's actually a really nice buzz in the building at the moment. Erin, can I just return to the comments you made around, and I also observed this over the last sort of year, the focus on DNI. And I suppose there's this sort of obvious challenge as a firm that you want to look after your people and people should be able to feel that they can be who they want to be and that sort of thing. And I suppose in its purest form, that hasn't changed as a result of the pandemic. And perhaps some people going through struggles will have been more highlighted by that. But why do you think there has been such a big push on DNI across the industry during the pandemic? Do you think it's pandemic itself driven or do you think it's a chance to take a step back? Do you think it's people being at home, people seeing each other's bedrooms and lounges and that sort of thing? Have you got any thoughts on what the real driver was? It's a great question. I've got at least four answers. So I hope I remember all four of them (laughs) by the time I get through them. I think that there's a few things. I think one is the pandemic made most people more reflective. If you're forced to change the way you work, you're forced to change the way you live, you think about what's important to you. And I think DNI comes to the fore when you think about those issues and absolutely exacerbated by seeing more into people's lives, whether that's our colleagues or our clients. I think the second one is, strange. as much as I prefer face-to-face meetings to Teams or Zoom meetings, there was a DNI benefit that virtual meetings created. And this is, you could have much larger meetings And the sorts of people who in face-to-face meetings would not normally speak up because they're less extrovert or less gregarious would feel much more comfortable raising their hand or putting something in the chat. So I think we got a much broader set of contributions from our internal development meetings than we did before. So I think that's another example of DNI in its most genuine sense of cognitive diversity of different ways of thinking. I think the other one was just a timing point. So George Floyd and the talk about black movement came quite early in the pandemic. And I think it made the world think it had a very profound effect on me. And I and other colleagues put out some personal thoughts on social media. And I recall that we sort of got together a firm-wide meeting to debate these important issues. And it got huge amounts of engagement. I mean, 250 or 300 attendees, the sort of things that a normal technical lunch over sandwiches would just <laughs> never generate. And I think that sort of thing really helped. And I think the fourth thing is actually that just the more direct proactive steps that we're taking as a business which we were doing anyway but I think we really stepped up in terms of our partnerships with organizations to help us recruit graduates from a wider pool we've really accelerated our returner program for people coming back from maternity and parental leave so I think it's a combination of the world becoming more reflective the accidents of timing which made people think and also the proactive steps that we were taking as a business anyway it's a topic I'm very passionate about and would love to take forward that development. And just because there's a sense of normality, let's not slow down the progress in that area. 
No, absolutely. And actually, one thing that really struck me was the comment you made about the water cooler moment that we were very focused on over the last year and sort of replicating that, if you like, in a virtual setting. But actually going further than that, really, because similar to your comment just now in terms of who speaks up in meetings, the sort of person that hung around, if you like, at the water cooler to have those connections that's not everyone in any firm. And actually, the additional touch points that have been created are a positive and should continue. 100%. And I think that's another area in that subject of diversity that I think we're scratching the surface off as a business got more to do is actually that topic of neurodiversity. So people who genuinely think differently, my view is that all of us have brains that are wired differently, and we should celebrate that. I think the pandemic has brought some of that about. Given the nature of some of our work, people whose strengths are on technical skills and risk management are highly valued within the business and perhaps we should be more direct about recognition of those strengths and continue to move forward. Fascinating to hear your thoughts there, Erin, on the whole diversity angle. One thought that I was just wondering as you were speaking there, was there an aspect of the shackles being off a little bit because we were outside the office and we weren't wearing a suit? I do sometimes think that the conformity aspect of that leads you down certain roads in conversations, whereas it was almost like the shackles were off so we could like really talk about stuff sort of thing. I don't know. Do you think there's anything from that? I 100% agree, Dan. I think some of those early interactions where you would see clients and colleagues as much more individuals in their in their home environment, surrounded by their own specific issues and specific intruders. We all had our different intruders. <laughs> I think it's really important. I would say my worry in a way is that that's worn off. I think no one I talk to at the moment is thinking, oh, please, can I have another Zoom bingo night? or another Zoom quiz. I think everyone's a little bit fed up with them. And that's why I think now is the time to focus on personal connections face-to-face to to the extent that people feel comfortable doing so. And certainly the lunches or social events I've had with teams and clients, I mean, there is a lot more that you can get in terms of the connection in that way. So I think it is getting that balance right, because the challenge that that brings, of course, is that those who are more willing to participate or more comfortable participating in those sorts of situations get an advantage, which of course isn't what we're after as a business because we want everyone to have the opportunity to be themselves and speak of their own strengths and fears and develop to their own potential. So I think that's one of the challenges of hybrid working, that even though many of us are excited about the return to normal, we have to make sure that we're properly inclusive to people who are at different parts of that journey. And what makes it harder is of course, the external environment's unknown. We don't really know what's going with the direction of cases and pandemics and whether restrictions might be reimposed. So I think everyone needs to keep that sort of positive mental attitude amongst the uncertainty that the next few months will bring. You just mentioned the phrase there, hybrid working. All the survey data and stuff you see, when there was an article in The Economist, I think last week, just on different people around the world, what their expectations are for the future of work. And obviously, it's a false dichotomy between office and remote. This idea of hybrid working seems to be far and away. The majority of people think that's where things are going to be. But the question is, what does that look like, I guess? It seems to be the one that there's slightly less less answers on. Have you got any thoughts on how you're seeing that panning out already or how you'd like to see it pan out? The key thing for me is that hybrid working should foster collaboration. And that's collaboration with colleagues and collaboration with clients. The particular challenge is hybrid meetings where you've got half the people in the room, half in their sort of studies or living rooms, how to make sure it's a properly inclusive meeting. The hybrid meetings I've been to, the technology's good, but it's not great, I would say. One of the situations I find particularly disconcerting is where you've got a meeting room which has a few different screens around the table, you start talking and suddenly this outsized version of yourself appears on all four screens around the room and it's extremely disconcerting that you don't know what to do about it. (laughs) So I think 
how we all manage hybrid meetings is going to be important. I think we all need to put lots of effort. And I think my perspective is the people in the room, partly by self-selection and partly by being there, will naturally be heard and listened to. The people not in the room, I think it's the job of the chair to make sure that they are listened to and brought in. So I think if we're running hybrid meetings, what we should do is almost make them virtual first. So put the direct proactive effort into making sure that those attending virtually are listened to. Go round them one by one, make sure people have those contributions and almost have a presumption that those in the room will get their say. And I think perhaps that's the way to get the balance right. But I think it's something that we're all just going to have to try and see and learn from. My hope is, and we're all obviously investing heavily in technology, but I think the providers of those technology do have a bit more to do to actually make the experience great rather than just good. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, interestingly, I've had two client meetings so far this week. The first yesterday was a hybrid meeting where I was virtual and there were others in the room. And the second today was I was in the room and there was one person who was virtual. And particularly today's meeting where there was just one person joining virtually who happened to be the company representative, so wasn't a decision-making trustee, was really, really difficult, actually. And I found yesterday's meeting particularly difficult because I was the one not in the room, although there were lots of people not in the room for that one. So it is a challenge. And I think things that I found particularly challenging, technology yesterday, the feedback around the room when someone unmuted themselves that sort of thing. It just needs to get better. It's the sort of stuff we struggled with 20 months ago when we were all first using Teams or Zoom or whatever it is. Seems like some of those issues are reappearing with the connection between a meeting room and people who are virtual. Agree. Really important to avoid a them and us situation. And I think that the role of the chair is really important there. I think the worst experience I've seen is when the people in the room put themselves on mute and have a personal chat with each other, excluding those around the table. I think To be honest, in that situation, the responsibility of the chair is to call foul and say, don't do that. We should probably tell listeners that this podcast is, in fact, a hybrid meeting because Erin and Mary are in LSP's offices in the same room. I'm at home, but we're all on our laptops with separate headphones. So make it that what you will. But I think we're cheating a bit, aren't we, Dan? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wonder whether, could we see a world where, for example, you you have a meeting invite and instead of having required an optional, which is kind of, seems a bit redundant anyway, you have sort of face-to-face and remote attendees or something or there's a sense that certain meetings are face-to-face meetings this is a completely remote meeting maybe that will just become naturally part of how we operate and we're saying look i'm organizing a meeting this is a face-to-face one or something like that even the way you respond to the meeting i suppose rather than just yes no tentative yeah face-to-face so the organizer to be more proactive about what's expected the other thing that i think i've learned is different types of meeting are better suited to the different exactly so first of all i think Virtual should be an option for all meetings. If either someone's uncomfortable or even these sort of smallish, if they're not sure whether they're unwell or not, don't come in and risk making everyone else unwell, just attend virtually. But I think it's the types of meeting. I think those involving creative thinking, brainstorming, idea sharing, fundamentally face-to-face is better. Strangely enough, formal board meetings where people are ratifying decisions I think they can be done virtually just as well. Everyone can have the opportunity to have their say and vote on a decision. It's almost inefficient to call everyone into the same room for that purpose. So I think there's a bit where, as you say, Dan, the organiser of the meeting should take a step back and think, what are we trying to achieve? What format's going to work best and actually demonstrate some leadership as to what the best format is. What about Aaron? Let's say you were in a tricky valuation discussion between company and trustees. You knew it's going to be tough some really difficult positions to reconcile. How do you run that meeting? What do you reckon? You need to get all the protagonists face-to-face or do you try and manage it virtually? Have you had that happen remotely? 
I've been in some of those remotely as of necessity over the last 18 months. And I think they can work fine. I think what they do need is some quite careful management. And you end up with the situation of the plenary meetings and the breakouts and everyone trying to get into the right place at the right time. I think it works fine, provided the individuals have already built up a relationship and trust. And I think in the end, everyone knows that everyone's trying to do their best in the circumstances and they've got a job to do. And I think if you've got that trust, virtual's fine. I think it can be hard to build that relationship and trust with a new key contact or counterparty if you've never met them face to face. So I think actually there's a way of it that says build the trust, build the relationship, meet people for lunch, have some one-to-one meetings. So people truly understand that you're not just good at your job, but you are very focused on coming at the best possible outcome. Once you build that trust, maybe the format of the meeting itself becomes secondary in its importance. That's really interesting, particularly your comment around, I agree, the sort of formally ratifying a decision bit isn't the bit where you need to be face to face. It's the idea generation, the spark of the idea that actually that's much more important. But I suppose still in any of those and in difficult conversations, I suppose, again, the sort of the idea of a hybrid meeting where you've got some people virtual and some people not, is that bit more difficult to manage? I agree. I mean, it's even the softer things around feedback. I mean, as a consultancy, we need constant feedback from our clients to improve what we do. We need to continuously improve. And we love feedback. So recently had lunch with a client, told us they 95% love what we do, but had one or two niggles. We had a nice lunch and enjoyable chat. He shared what those niggles were. We can very easily act on them. If I didn't have the opportunity to have that lunch with the client, I'm not sure he would have bothered to tell me. And therefore, those small niggles would have festered for longer. And it therefore creates less of an opportunity for us to improve our service. So I think there's perhaps some slightly unexpected. It's not just about building the relationships, but sometimes it's about giving people the opportunity or environment or atmosphere to tell you things you might otherwise not want to hear and to actually give us an opportunity to continue to improve as a firm, as a consultancy. And it's almost that threshold, isn't it? There's, it feels like the threshold to send you an email and say, I've got these 2% niggles. No one's going to do that until they're 10% niggles, whereas actually over coffee, over lunch, that threshold's just lower. Yeah, you don't have many people calling you up saying, hey, is now a good time for some feedback? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My favourite line of all time. <laughs> that is a really tricky one. Another point that is, is really interesting is you made the point, Aaron, around trading on the capital of established relationships a lot of the time here over the last year and a half, which is really important. But it's been so long now that we've got plenty of colleagues who've joined in a remote environment. I can think of I think probably at least a dozen. You'd have visibility of far more across the it's whole It's over 100, would you believe? people have joined LCP in the last 18 months. We're a firm of 800 people. So it's quite a high proportion of the firm. Yeah, meeting people face to face for the first time this week, for example. Yeah, wow. I've generally been really impressed with how well those people have managed to adapt to that working world and really add value. But I guess there's a time where a little bit of those relationships need to be built face to face now and we need to try and engineer that. There's sort of quite a lot of proactive effort happening, I think, particularly with the new intake that's joined yesterday. It is interesting, though, because you sort of alluded to that point earlier, like, Back in the old days, if you like, it would be like, right, let's all go to the pub sort of thing. And I think back on that inclusion point, there's more of a recognition now that a lot of the traditional, let's call them traditional ways of socializing just don't necessarily work for everyone. 100%. And so a really open question, I I don't have any answers, is what are the right ways of doing that now? You start looking at it from different inclusion angles, it's, it's hard to say from your limited perspective, isn't it? I agree. And I think as we're a larger firm, our responsibility towards inclusion is much higher. So I think the way we need to resolve that is using multiple routes and channels to help people feel included. So 
nothing wrong at all with the traditional method of socialising over drinks and meals. But we should also make sure that people who are better at building relationships one-to-one should have that opportunity to build individual relationships rather than necessarily in groups. As you say, going out for drinks isn't necessarily the best route for everyone. So arranging socials that are not in the evenings, that are in the middle of the day, and don't necessarily involve food and drink as well is really important. And actually just going back to the virtual work environment during the pandemic, I think people were very creative on that. The inclusion events that worked best were those where there was some form of theme and those themes could be quite varied in what they were. Absolutely. I completely agree. And given my involvement with the social committee, it's it's an area I've sort of thought about a lot over the years, but no more so than now, really. And clearly there are some very difficult decisions in terms of getting back out there, the extent to which it's actively encouraged. And there's obviously caution to play as well there. Erin, I wonder whether we could just almost circle back. So we've talked a bit about hybrid working and hybrid meetings. Are there any things that or features, I suppose, of the last 18 months that you're particularly keen to lose and that you're sort of keen that we drop in this new way of working, apart from the unwanted intrusion? Yeah, <laughs> great, yeah great question. <laughs> what would you drop in this way of working? I think it's the, we probably all had a number of those days where the video calls were back to back. You might start at 8am, they might continue till 8pm with no breaks in between. And sorry, this is almost a dangerous thing to say if any of my clients are listening, but The norm now is people will sort of say, have you got time for a meeting sometime today? Now, two years ago, no one ever asked if you could make a meeting today. It just seemed unreasonable to expect you could drop everything and come to a meeting today, whereas now that's different. When there was that discipline of having a bit of travel time to get from A to B, it created that opportunity to reflect and helped everyone's focus, really. And even when you're at a trustee meeting, which was all day, you're obviously very focused on that one situation for that whole day. So I think working out how we create an environment where we're focused on a small number of things in a day rather than doing multiple things back to back is something that I think is quite important. But then there's a positive that I should probably have mentioned earlier, which that way of working did create. And that was, I don't know if either you, Mary or Dan, remember this, but one of my sort of bugbears at the start of the pandemic was let's change the way we advise to cope with virtual meetings. So my sort of mantra was shorter meetings, shorter documents and slicker presentations. So put the effort in to make your documents really punchy so that they won't bore people. The worst thing you can do is screen chair a tiny font document and read from it line by line. So make sure the documents are really accessible to people, even if they're only viewing it on screen share. Make sure your presentations are very well prepared and slick, and it takes a lot more time to prepare a short presentation than a long one. And also keep the meeting shorter because of our intensiveness on screens. So I think those are good learnings. So the focus on shorter documents, shorter meetings, slicker presentations, we should keep even when we go back to the face-to-face environment. But what that doesn't mean we should do is pack too many of them in a day so that we lose focus. That is a really good point. I do remember you saying that, actually, and that was very early on, I think. I mean, we were talking sort of in the very first few weeks that we were talking about that. One approach I found has worked relatively well, particularly where there's a material piece of analysis or something that's being presented, is effectively to send pre-reading, because it means the meeting itself can be much more focused. And some of the work I've done will, of course, have been presented in a virtual setting. But I can see that working quite well, actually, in a hybrid setting where we say, here's some background reading, so you will all understand the issue as well as we need you to, to start with. And then the actual meeting, particularly if it's a face-to-face meeting, can be much more sort of brainstorming around an issue rather than the initial piece of work on the issue itself. 
I think that's a great strategy, actually, Mary. And I think it, I mean, just picking up on a thought I made earlier, I think it also requires the strength of the chair. So I think that works. It needs the, the sort of leadership from the chair to say, and by the way, board, we do expect you to have read it all because that's what makes the meeting well-focused. I think we combination of the pre-read and, and a fairly direct, albeit very nice and polite, sort of prompt from the chair to make sure everyone's read it can be very effective. It has actually elevated the role of the chair even more, hasn't it? I mean, we always, it feels like we're always saying how crucial the role of the chair is. It's been especially crucial at this period of time, will continue to be even more so potentially in hybrid working. Yet it's an underrated skill, I think, and one that's in quite short supply being a good chair, if I'm really honest. And it's quite hard work as well. So it's kind of tough, isn't it? Yeah, agreed. And I think the chair has the responsibility, not just for the efficiency of the decision making, but actually also for the inclusion aspects, which we touched on, that are so important. As we wrap up, and I suppose it'll be fascinating maybe to return to this conversation in a year or so when we're all used to hybrid working and reflect on how naive we perhaps were. But Aaron, what's the one thing you'd like listeners to take away from this conversation? The one thing I'd like listeners to take away is that we at LCP are constantly trying to improve. So we don't think we've got all the answers. We like to be proactive, but we need your feedback and we will learn from our experiences. And I think as we move into this new area of hybrid working, there will be things that work well. There will be things that have teething issues. We will take all your feedback on board. We'll learn from it and we'll continue to make things better for you. Fab. And feedback, of course, extends to the podcast. So <laughs> if you would like to leave us a review or send us any feedback, then as always, please do. Erin, what do you think is the most underappreciated thing about investing? Perhaps the value of a exceptionally good investment consultant. I seem to be talking to <laughs> two of them at the moment. Love it. Excellent answer. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, we'll leave that one there. Any recommendations, Aaron, for good books or podcasts for the listeners? Maybe due to the sort of challenges of my role, my reading tends to be pure escapism, nothing to do with work, nothing to do with investment. So the book I'm reading at the moment, which is absolutely riveting, it's by James Swallow. It's part of the Rubicon series, and it's a sort of spy novel. It's called Rogue, based on individuals who are misunderstood and running away from various authorities. So I think for me, thrillers that provide pure escapism from the world of work. So I'd recommend that one. But of course, there are many others that you would choose from. Sorry, Dan and Mary, I know you are much more erudite readers than I am. So you'll have far better answers. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. We're not at all judgmental. And we favour diversified portfolios (laughs) of reading here. So fiction absolutely has a place. And if anything, we're a little bit underweight on fiction recommendations. So we'll put that in the show notes so people can find it. Aaron, it's been a great conversation today. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you both. Look forward to what the new difference brings for us all. Indeed. I like that you didn't call it the new normal there, the new different. That's great. Our podcast is for information and marketing purposes only and does not constitute any form of investment or financial advice. For more information, please refer to our marketing privacy policy on the LCP website.